just plant yourself at home and watch Tiger King. This week, has the coronavirus infected our LRT stations? And is a name change the vaccine? Plus, we've got a few E's. E-DC, E-Scooters, and E-Coronavirus. We have to talk about it a bit. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Matt. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 79. We're in the new normal forever. Uh, I haven't left my house or put on pants in what seems like time immemorial, and the podcast does not change that. No, we, we keep recording. Also unchanging in this podcast is the rapid fire segment right off the top. The Fitness Industry Council of Canada, which operates out of Edmonton, warned of the potential for massive closures and bankruptcies due to the current pandemic. The release notes that physical fitness helps boost the immune system as well as promotes better overall mental health. The release warns about the devastating societal impact if these businesses were to close and that the businesses need support because people will need places to get daily physical exercise once this all ends. And indeed, the problem is a stumper. Without gym facilities, Edmontonians risk having to cut out the car from their leave home, drive somewhere and move around there sequence. Connor McDavid is staying put in Edmonton during this pandemic. The Oilers captain said publicly that he doesn't want to risk contracting the virus nor infecting his parents or grandparents in suburban Toronto. He shared additional details during a video conference with Pacific Division players, but anyone paying close attention to the video will spot McDavid quickly blinking twice, the prearranged signal that Hunter the Lynx is standing behind the camera and the self-isolation is less self and more imprisonment. However, panicked calls to Gritty have gone unanswered as the confirmed Antifa mascot was too busy dealing with the 7,016 cases in Philadelphia. 25,000 education professionals were rehired Friday morning after a constituent described schools as, quote, a pipeline that produces graduates to Education Minister Adriana LaGrange. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. Park Power is a small local business, and like many of you, it has been closely monitoring the news on COVID-19 and the world's rapidly changing circumstances. While many of their team are currently working remotely, the way Park Power does business has not changed, and their commitment to exceptional customer service will remain. You can find out more about Park Power's response to the COVID-19 outbreak at parkpower.ca. So we'll start this week with, there was a tweet from Aaron Paquette, quote, I wonder if the Edmonton Naming Committee would be interested in considering an honorary change when this is all over. Corona Hinshaw Station, changing the LRT station to be named after Dr. Dina Hinshaw. And 83% of the 441 votes said, yes, we should do that. And it sort of stirred up a flurry on Twitter and around the internet of, well, should we call the station Corona Hinshaw? Should we just call it Hinshaw? Should we even rename it? And then there was another Twitterer, Eric Backstrom, a senior planner from the city of Edmonton, tweeted out some history of why the Corona station was named the way it is. And we've got Eric uh, remotely on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us, Eric. Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me. So if you want to just give us in a nutshell, what was your tweet thread? What's the history of the name of Corona Station? 
Sure. So I didn't know. Someone asked me what the history was, and I have a I have an interest in naming and you know what our names reflect about our values and so forth. So I said I got to find out. Every to me, everything points to the station being named after a cigar. So I'm going to explain that. Uh, there was a hotel on Jasper Avenue, right where the Corona Station is, from 1912 to 1981. It was called Corona Hotel and uh, burned down in 1932 and was rebuilt. So it had decades of service for Edmontonians. I'm always curious, why did they name it Corona Hotel? And as I did some digging, I found that there was a, a hotel in Montreal that was named Corona Hotel. And the, the, the first manager of our Corona Hotel in Edmonton was uh, from the Francophone community and seems like he was probably from Montreal. And, uh, but, you know, do a, a little bit more digging that the King of England and the British Commonwealth at the time was Edward VII. And he, I, or I found out, was just a huge cigar smoker. I am the least authority on cigars you could imagine. But so Edward VII loved cigars and he loved these cigars called Double Coronas. Corona is a brand of cigar I learned that that was first manufactured in Cuba in the 1840s. And sort of that the name Corona became sort of a de facto term for the shape of cigars. Come turn of the century, 1912, when our Corona Hotel was built, uh, cigars were in their, you know, very popular stage. They were an exclusive item. The King of Eng England loved Coronas. And, and I, so I think that's where our Corona name came from. So that's the history. The, the hotel was turned down in 1981, shortly before the station opened. And uh, they were looking for a name for the station and decided that that must be a good way to, to remember the history. That sounds like a Tiger King-esque wild ride. We have a hotel, a Montreal association, something about cigars and a king overseas. None of that strikes me as a uniquely Edmontonian history. Yeah, I, th I think you can say the, the, the back history wasn't Edmontonian, but the fact that but a hotel was named and it had it took on its own life. It's uh, I'm too young to remember the Corona Hotel, but there, you know, people I saw on Twitter said I used to work there or, you know, I knew someone who owned it and there were some wild stories. And so it had uh, decades and decades of history for Edmontonians just because I wasn't part of doesn't mean it's not valid. Right. And so um, there's there's nothing right now that I know of at the station that commemorates that history. If we decide in our wisdom to keep the name or to do a hyphenated name like Councillor Paquetta suggested, like a Corona Hinshaw station, it might be a good idea to, to commemorate that history. Or, or again, Edmontonians could ask ourselves at the end of this, and who knows what the end will look like and how we'll feel about the name Corona when we're done uh, the, uh, the pandemic. Maybe it's time to retire the name. I don't know. I'm not saying what should happen, but it's it's a good question. And it really comes back to what's important to us. I'm curious in your digging, Eric, did you find anything about how they named things in the city of Edmonton when the station was built? Because obviously today we have the naming committee. There's things like the historical board and the heritage uh, council that might you know be involved in suggesting a name for something. But those things didn't exist when the station was built and they thought of commemorating the hotel. Do you know why they decided to go that way? Like, was it just one person's idea? I was asking myself that same question, Mac. I didn't find the answer. The Edmonton Historical Board does have roots that go back long before the LRT. I think it was in possibly the 1940s when it got going. 
there definitely was interest in commemorating history you know, quite a bit before the LRT. And so it is interesting, the uh, Corona Station and the Bay Enterprise Square Station, the, at least the Bay portion of that, are, are the two names in the LRT system that reflect some history. Or, you know, so like I, I shouldn't say that, you know, like Belvedere re- represents the historic community of Belvedere and so forth. But those are two buildings downtown that are that, that uh, the uses aren't, aren't there, at least in the case of the Bay Station, the, the Bay Building is there and it's a protected heritage building, which isn't the case for Corona. So, so yeah, it's a, that's a great question, Mac. You, you mentioned that we like to preserve the heritage. Do you find that you think Corona is a valuable name to be preserved? I mean, I was born long after the Corona Hotel was demolished. Corona has only ever been Corona Station for me. And like you said, there's no plaques commemorating it. Does being a building make a valuable part of Edmonton's history? Or does a building have to be a bit more than that? Does it have to do more than just exist for a while to be historic? That's a great question. And I, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, you know, one way or another. I just, I know that those, those are, they're great questions. And I think they're questions that, that we often don't think about. And, um, and I think that we, we should revisit them once in a while and say, what does this name mean to us? And, if it is an important name, what are we doing to commemorate the history? If it's not an important name, if it's, you know, if, if, if time has shown that this name doesn't have a lot of resonance with, with people and there's a new name, then maybe we should change it. There are examples of names changing in the past. And so the, I guess the most extreme one that I can think of is in World War One. there was a city in Ontario called Berlin. <laughs> some, of the, some of the business people thought, oh, this isn't so good for business since we're fighting a war against the Germans. And so they had a referendum and uh, they renamed it Kitchener. And so that's where we get Kitchener, Ontario from. So that's a pretty extreme thing. Um, you know, is that the right idea? Kitchener, if you look at Kitchener's legacy, he, he maybe did some nasty things in the Boer War, or maybe he wasn't the best person to name a city after. I don't know, right? You know, it's, it's, it's up to, I guess, the people in Kitchener to make that decision 100 years ago and today and, and ongoing. So coming back to Edmonton, yeah, it's up to the naming committee ultimately to say we should make a change. But it's important for people to realize that the citizens can make recommendations to the naming committee so that uh, they can make a recommendation to adopt a new name. And then the committee will look at it and decide yay or nay. If we either name or elect not to rename the station, we should at least have some plaques, some information commemorating the history. Do you prefer that they just put like a digital screen with a link to your tweet thread or what would that look like? Uh, no, no, I don't think, I don't think my tweet thread has, uh, has enduring historical value. I just have to ask you, Eric, have you been watching Dr. Dina Hinshaw regularly? Like a lot of yes, us? Yes, actually in, in my, in my household, we, uh, we, our, our favorite TV show is called Hinshaw TV. <laughs> Sounds like my house actually. <laughs> well, thanks for both coming on and doing that thread, Eric. With all the coronavirus news, this is coronavirus related, but it is so exciting to get Edmonton history, Edmonton facts, Edmonton discussion that's not about a pandemic response. So stories about cigar-based history from 1912, <laughs> I'm all for it. There you yeah, go, Edmonton real, cigar history. It's a real act of journalism, so thanks for, for doing that work. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So now that we've got the senior planner out of the room, 
Do we think we should actually change the station? I don't think so. I'm not a fan of changing the name. I, uh, it, like I said, it's Hinshaw TV around here as well. And I've been such a, a fan of the uh, the calm, cool, collected, you know, truthful, accurate uh, person that she's been this whole time. But I don't think we need to go and change the, the LRT station name over this. So when I first saw it, um, I really liked it. I'm a sucker for hyphenated LRT station names like McKernan Belgravia, Bay Enterprise, those station names, they really get me going. Like even even the worst one, South Campus Ford Edmonton Park, which is nowhere near the station. I draw issue with that one because <laughs> Ford Edmonton Park is a stupid station name. But yeah. however, as the week went along, it occurred to me that, well, has anyone asked Dr. Dina if she wants a station to be named after her? And that's the thing. We don't name political ridings, airports, all these things after living people. Generally not. There's a lot of problems. One, if they turn out to be a Nazi, that's bad. And two, like that could drive unwanted attention to this person, to their family. Maybe they're not okay with the station. There's so many things that could go wrong when you're idealizing and idolizing someone who is alive versus when their legacy has been cemented after they die. Yeah. Although there is lots of precedent for this in Edmonton, right? And I guess it's mainly around sports, but we have Wayne Gretzky Drive and Mark Messier Trail. Like we have named things after living people. It's not likely to happen. Um, in one of the threads, I even saw Aaron Paquette tweet back, it's a nice thought experiment, but that's probably all it will ever be. Right. I will never turn down an opportunity during the pandemic to talk about something that's not the pandemic. And there was real news this week. The EEDC named a new interim CEO, and none of those words contain coronavirus. And nothing about this story is really related to coronavirus, except perhaps the timing of when they made the announcement. I think maybe hoping that it would get buried a little bit amongst all the other news. Um, right off the top, I just need to say once again that EEDC is a customer of, of Taproots, so let's just get that out there um, so listeners know. The news is that uh, the EEDC board has announced uh, as of April 1st, and it's not an April Fool's joke, I checked, um, they are effective immediately replacing Derek Hudson, who has been the CEO uh, of EEDC with Maggie Davison, who is EEDC's current vice president responsible for Edmonton Tourism. So she is now the interim CEO. And the board uh, message from the chair, Joseph Doucette, basically said, quote, given the implied change in scope and focus for EEDC to a visitor economy and venue management authority as a result of city council's motion of December 11th, 2019, the board felt it was appropriate to make a leadership change, end quote. So you are more aligned with the startup Edmonton tech innovation EDC beat. What does this announcement reveal to you, if anything? Is this a emergency kicking out of the old guard or is this just a change in direction? I think this is just changing the uh, person at the top who's going to work with city council most closely over the next number of months as they transition this organization into its future state. So, you know, I've tweeted before and we talked about it before that we, you know, in that council meeting witnessed the dismantling of EDC and Derek Hudson was around and wrote the report at the beginning that created EDC in the first place. And so it's kind of poetic that he's there at the end, as, I, as I've said before, um, you know, looking at the organization to me, there's really only a few people um, that are internal to the organization that could be the leader of it. And the two that would probably come to mind for a lot of people are Cheryl Watson, who's the vice president of Innovate Edmonton, 
and Maggie Davison, who's been VP of Edmonton Tourism since April of 2013. So she's been there for a little while. And it doesn't really make sense for Cheryl to take that role because we know with pretty good certainty that um, we're going to spin out an innovation authority and uh, and she's the likely candidate, I would have to think, to be the person to lead that. It would be a surprise, I think, if that new authority is not led by Cheryl. Um, and so that leaves Maggie. And so it's no real surprise to me that she would be the person the board picks. Um, I did reach out to EDC to ask if they were starting an executive search or what that's going to look like because they've called um, Maggie the interim CEO. And they said that at the time, at this time, they're happy with her leadership and they'll make decisions about, you know, CEO search in the future. And you mentioned Cheryl Watson as another potential choice. And there was news about her this week as well. Yeah, so kind of exciting in the startup world. So Startup Genome is a, is a very um, broad-reaching consulting organization based in San Francisco, but they do work all over the, all over the world. And uh, she's been named to the Startup Genome Advisory Board. She's one of two Canadians who sits on that, uh, that board. It's an 18-person board. So that's a really good thing for Edmonton. I think it's awesome that Cheryl will get to highlight some of the amazing things that happen here to that broad international um, organization and the, the people that they reach. Um, and I guess it just further solidifies, you know, Cheryl's role as the person who can help lead the innovation community here in Edmonton. And I'm always excited to get Edmonton on the innovation and technology map. But we had lamented in the past that there was $4.2 million in tech funding that was denied by the UCP government to Edmonton for tech innovation funding. And I think we have an update to that story. Yeah, so the Edmonton Regional Innovation Network, these are, so these regional innovation networks, there's a bunch of them across the province. They basically take money from the province, from Alberta Innovates, and, and um, you know, support local organizations that are doing work that matches the Alberta Innovates agenda, essentially. We missed out on $4.2 last year because, well, people are divided on that. Either, you know, the Edmonton group didn't have its... Um, button gear and didn't do what was asked of them by Alberta Innovates or Alberta Innovates was out to get Edmonton, uh, depending on who you talk to. But they've since made up either way. And uh, there's a new ERIN, very creatively called ERIN 2.0 here in Edmonton. Um, And it's a much more community-driven organization than the previous one. And they've done quite a bit of work over the last number of months to apply again for some of this funding. And uh, and that application was approved April 1st. So $2.7 million is coming back into um, Edmonton's innovation ecosystem. Some of that money will be for Startup Edmonton, um, and some of that money will will now be new that um, the new ERIN can figure out how they want to spend that, which programs and services um, they want to divvy that money up to. With that, we're getting another $2.7 That's a good news story, especially for our innovation ecosystem. And I think that about concludes the good news segment of Speaking Municipally for this week. And let's jump right into the rest of it. And I think the first place where we'll put our Rip and Pepperoni's gravestone is on e-scooters. Uh, e-scooters came to Edmonton last year. We were, I at least, was very excited about it. Don yeah. Iveson and Scott McKean, less excited. But I thought like what it did for our urban form, what it did for the liveliness on the streets downtown and around White, absolutely phenomenal. Are e-scooters actually coming back? That's the question this week. Well, before the pandemic really hit here in Edmonton, so early March, there were stories in the media about e-scooters returning to the streets this spring. So Bird and Lime both said that they were planning to bring the scooters out again as soon as the weather was nice. 
Um, there's a company called Roll Scooters that was planning to launch in Edmonton and Calgary this spring. So we might have had uh, a third option as well. And then, of course, everything changed. And, you know, there was, was kind of quiet. We didn't hear any news about scooters. You and I thought about talking about this in a previous episode, and it just didn't, there was nothing to talk about, really. But now there is. There isn't really an update on the Edmonton context of it, but scooter companies around the world have been struggling a little bit. And it makes sense in a pandemic where the virus spreads surface to surface as one of its contamination vectors, not a lot of people want to go share a scooter with someone else in the city. Uh, So that's hurt e-scooters across uh, the continent and even across the world in uh, European cities as well. But for Bird, one of the companies that was in Edmonton, it was a pretty stark wake up reality for both outsiders looking in and for people inside the company. You shared one article titled How's Bird Laid Off 406 People in Two Minutes? And that just floored me. This is amazing what they did and not in a good way. So 406 Bird employees, they've been working from home for two weeks because of the coronavirus. And the article says, you know, they were bleary eyed from putting in longer than usual days in an effort to rapidly wind down operations in cities around the world. They got the Zoom webinar invitation. It was pretty generic sounding, just COVID-19 update. And in two minutes, they laid all these people off. And if I remember correctly, uh, elsewhere in the article, it says there were some people that, you know, their accounts were disabled while they were on this call. Other people couldn't even get into the call because their calendars had become inaccessible. Just a crazy way to lay off that many people. Not something that other businesses should look to replicate. And that equated to roughly 30 to 40% of Bird's entire workforce laid off in that two-minute span. Yeah. So, I mean, the question that I was posing to you earlier is like, well, are scooter companies even going to survive this pandemic? I mean, forget Edmonton. Are are they going to last long enough to come back by the time that that's a possibility? Well, and the thing about scooter companies is I don't know that any of them were actually sustainable. Uh, Most scooter companies tended to be a redistribution of venture capital money into Mm -hmm. my pocket as I ride around a scooter in the same way that MoviePass was venture capital money being redistributed into moviegoers' pockets. Yeah. There was no real profit for the company. And basically the idea was let's get our user base up, and then we'll figure out profitability later, the Silicon Valley mindset. But it's later and venture capital funding is drying up. And now there's these scooter companies with this massive inventory of loss leading scooters and no one to ride them. And I think we're going to see a lot of them turn belly up. Totally. Yeah, I think you're right. And it was such a twist of fate this week that uh Kaylin Tamissa um I'm not going to try to pronounce her actual last name <laughs> she's got a very unique last name and I unfortunately am not a worldly Edmontonian but she's a uh student at the University of Alberta and she works under Bob Summers who's well known in the urban yeah. planning circles um and she shared this week some of her research on shared e-scooters programs and their sustainability. And I thought it was fascinating because her answer was basically, nah, they're not. Yeah, a really interesting infographic-like thing that she shared from her, her research. She looked at environmental sustainability, economic sustainability, and social sustainability. As you say, kind of figured out that not really, actually, in any of these, if I if I remember correctly. Yeah, so basically on the environmental 
point, they mostly replaced walking, biking, and transit. So overall, carbon emissions are increased from the manufacturing and charging of the e-scooters. On the economic front, there's a path to sustainability with improved device lifespans and better designs. But with current designs and iterations, nah, it's not economically feasible. They're money losers. And we need people to stop, you know, setting them on fire and throwing them into the river valley. Precisely. And then from the third of the social sustainability standpoint, well, that's not really uh, something that's being uh, achieved either because, and this comes up with the discussion around bike share, a true private bike share is never going to be entirely socially sustainable because the cost to use it will just be too high for our vulnerable users. So Municipal involvement and government involvement needs to happen for one of these programs to be truly socially sustainable. So it's uh, basically a failing grade on e-scooter programs, um, which is unfortunate and a kick while they're down moment for these companies who have no profits right now. Yeah. Um, speaking of kicking people while they're down, ugh, maybe that's a bit too callous to talk about this next point. Uh, the city of Edmonton had to do some layoffs this week. Uh we got an update from Adam Lachlan and Don Iveson doing a press conference. And the skinny of it is about 2,100 employees at the city of Edmonton will be uh, laid off now. Yeah, that's about 1,600 from city of Edmonton itself and almost uh, 500 more from the Edmonton Public Library. Um, in contrast to the way that Bird went about their layoffs, both Mayor Iveson and uh, the interim city manager Adam Lachlan were appropriately emotional, I think, in delivering this news, and we're not happy about it. But it's not a huge surprise. I mean, the attractions, the recreation facilities, all the public libraries, these facilities have been closed for a while now. And probably there's a calculation to be made here around how long do we think they're going to remain closed? You know, is it better to do these layoffs, these temporary layoffs, and, and allow these workers to access employment insurance and other benefits that might be made available from the other orders of government. Um, I can't imagine that this was an easy decision by any means, but it also feels like they probably didn't have much choice, and this could be tip of the iceberg. Also, I was pleasantly surprised reading the details of this layoff. It's not good to ever lay off employees, but like you said, there's access to these EI benefits, and the city is not turning these employees out to dry. There's actually quite a reasonable transition package for employees who are unfortunately affected by this. Yeah, that's right. So the city is planning to top up um, 75% of these employees pay during the layoff period. So that's above the 55% that they should get through regular EI from the federal government. Um, they're also planning to supplement pay for eight weeks for temporary employees or provisional uh, employees and 16 weeks for permanent staff. So um, they get a little bit extra pay to help cushion the blow during this time. And importantly, they also get to maintain benefits and access to mental health support uh, during a difficult time. So that's a good thing that the city of Edmonton in, did in, uh, in in making this decision. I think we'll close this week with talking about our neighbors down in Calgary, who sometimes we like to make fun of them and criticize them. And sometimes we unfortunately have to say that they're just doing some things better than us. And Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson this week uh, went ahead and congratulated Calgary on doing a bit better than us. In one regard, at least, yeah, they decided in Calgary to limit vehicular access on some of their roadways in order to make more space for people. So if we take the cars off the road, then we can 
widen the space for for people on bikes or people who are walking or running things that are still important in this time to get some exercise, get some fresh air. Um, but it's hard to do social distancing or physical distancing properly when you're limited to just the sidewalk. So they've done that, I think, on the weekends, right? And, and maybe certain times of the week, they haven't done it permanently. Um, but they've, you know, said no vehicles here during these times. We're going to try to widen this for, for pedestrians, which is awesome, I think. I'll add an addendum to your comments. You said, if we take the cars off the road. I think you'll find that the cars are already off the road. We've had significant drops in vehicle traffic. We just haven't taken the space that they had previously used and assigned that to a more practical approach, which is using it for people. Yeah, fair point. Today in the news conference, we're recording this on Thursday, the city talked about this idea in Edmonton and that they are looking at this and the streets that they specifically mentioned were Victoria Promenade, Saskatchewan Drive. Um, and parts of River Valley Road. So not a huge surprise. Those are the ones they named. They said there's others that they're considering, but it's possible we could see something like this in Edmonton as well. It's weird because even last week, the previous Thursday on the emergency committee meeting, you had Andrew Knack and Aaron Paquette both talking about this. And you had the mayor talk about this saying, oh, you know, we'd it'd be nice to be able to do this. And I just, I don't get how this is working like if city council wants to do something i don't get why they don't say do this now we're in a state of emergency if there was any time to be agile and to just do things on a whim now would be the time to do it why are we letting administration drag their heels on this and like i get administration is working on other things but I don't think this is like an executive leadership we need to debate and see "Hmm, how would this work i think just put up some signs and some barricades and get it done. Uh, I don't see the holdup. Yeah. I mean, I guess the technical answer here is they don't have legal authority at the moment, council, to say, go and do this. <laughs> that is the emergency management agency that they've delegated power to. So they'd have to end the uh, local emergency in order to give that directive, which is really interesting, right? About how this governance piece is working right now. I would say I hear you, but I do think they're focused on a bunch of other things right now. And I recognize that it's super challenging to have to juggle all these balls in the air at the same time. I mean, we've seen news this week about, you know, the Expo Center, which has been turned into a shelter and isolation space, you know, 600 people a day, don't have enough showers, don't have enough laundry. They're working to solve those problems. You know, every day you've got to figure out what is the province or what have the feds announced that we now have to react to. You know, I'm willing to give them a little bit of slack on this one just because of the time in which we find ourselves. And we'll close with the acceptance that sometimes Troy is wrong. Last week I had said, well, if stairs are so important, why don't you put up a sign? And by the time that episode was released a mere 12 hours later, in fact, the city had put signs up on all of the River Valley stairs it's saying, please maintain your physical distance. So we fully expect that tomorrow, by the time this episode is up, they'll have closed these roads to, to cars, right? Knock on wood. <laughs> Normally, we'd read another ad right now, but um, because coronavirus, a lot of businesses are thinking, hey, maybe we don't want to advertise right now. Maybe that's not exactly the message that we want to be associated with. So ADB has stepped up to make it possible to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters with pod power. And this episode, we'd 
like to give a pod power shout out to What on Earth Can We Do? It's a podcast produced by the Alberta Emerald Foundation. And in this annual series, hosts Colleen and Gregory chat with Alberta's environmental leaders about hot topics like food waste, reusing and recycling, and more. While tackling these issues as individuals can seem daunting, we can learn together how to answer the question, what on earth can we do? And that's the title. To listen and find out more, you can visit emeraldfoundation.ca slash podcast. And that's all for this week. I have nothing else to say other than wash your hands, eat your greens, watch Dr. Hinshaw. Watch Tiger King, I guess. What a wild ride. Uh, no spoilers. I'm only on episode four. Mac, you said you hadn't started watching yet. Well, we're about to. Yep. It is true crime distilled down to its purest essence. Uh, I will say that we've had during this pandemic situation, people just with Tiger King related protest signs standing on their front lawn saying honk if, and I won't say what the sign said because <laughs> spoilers, but people are into it and you could be into it too. Um, so shout out to Netflix, I guess. Yeah. Give us money, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I guess they need that advertising. So you got it for free, Ted. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Me.